You are now listening to your favorite podcast. Welcome to the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success. I am your host, Maverick Levy. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this show. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please do so. And also, if you're willing to, please leave a five-star review or however many stars you think the show is deserves. We are open to all and any comments, even if it, you are a critic or a hater, we are open to hearing it. Or if you love the show, please let us know why you love it. Any subscription, any reviews help the shows grow organically. Of course, this show is produced by none other than DB Podcast. They truly are the best of the best podcast producers. Also, be sure to check out the social media pages for the podcast. Pretty much on every social platform, you can find us using the at TBOTB pod. That stands for the best of the best podcast, but we go by at TBOTB pod on social media. You can also follow along with the podcast network that is at TBOTB network. The network is growing, new shows coming on. So, very excited for you all to hear that. And the shows that are on the network are ones that I think are very worthwhile listening to. I'm not just putting it in your face because it's my network and we're growing it. I think these are shows that we also believe in. We love the host. We love the idea of the show. So go listen to them. Now, before we jump into this interview, I want to let you all know that this interview is focused very much on entrepreneurship. It's focused on being a leader. It's focused on pivoting, adapting, executing by someone that has built successful businesses and has become a great leader in what he does. So I think that you all have tons to take away from this. I had a lot to take away from this. So without further ado, I'll get through the disclaimer and we will hop into the interview. So everyone, please remember that the discussions on this podcast are for informational purposes only. I cannot predict and I do not guarantee that you will attain a particular result from the information provided. You should always seek professional assistance before making decisions in connection with the topics discussed. Now, let's jump right into this week's interview. On today's episode, we have someone that has known me for a good majority of my life. His name is Neil Sherman. He's a partner in a big law firm in Michigan. He also is an entrepreneur in other ventures. So without further ado, welcome to the Best of the Best podcast, Neil. Thank you, Maverick. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one. Funny enough, just because I give the listeners sort of an insight on my perspective of how the business world or the world works in general... Neil and I have known each other for a while. My stepmom is a lawyer at the law firm that Neil's a partner in, and I saw him randomly at my girlfriend's little brother's. What's it called? What do they call it? Donuts and adult. donuts for dudes. Donuts, yeah, for, donuts dudes. for dudes. We flew into Michigan, surprised her little brothers at this donuts for dudes, and I ran into Neil there, and we literally hadn't talked, and I don't know what five years, maybe long, 10 Probably, years. Yeah. With the pandemic, at least, at least five years. And, but I knew it was you immediately, Yeah, uh, even though it couldn't have been more out of context, right? <laughs> I know. Seeing you yeah. at my, at my eight year olds, uh, morning event at his, uh, elementary school. But no, I knew it was you. I was excited to see you excited to catch up. And you shared with me that you were doing this and, uh, and now we find ourselves here. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I always say to everyone, if there's an opportunity, you just have to seize it. Neil said to me, he's like, hey, I'd love to come on the podcast about a week and a half, two weeks later, emailed him and got the equipment sent out to him. So here we are. So I think the first place to start, Neil, is sort of taking a step back for me and letting you explain what you do for a living now, the ventures that you are a part of, and then we can work backwards and find out how you got to that point. Because I think, you know, something we talked about at the school was you kind of have a unique story as to the direction you thought your life was taking you when you were in college and then where you sort of ended up. So why don't you tell everyone what you do now and um, what ventures you're a part of? Yeah, absolutely. So I've found myself in the uh, real estate sphere, and um, my primary role has been as an attorney for the past 20 years, operating in primarily the state of Michigan, representing mortgage lenders and servicers uh, with any issue they have with a residential loan here in our state. And whether that's 
a bankruptcy filed by one of their customers, loss mitigation efforts, anything that they need, that's what we do. And I've, I've been practicing in that sphere literally 20 years. And part of that, uh, one of the things that we do requires that we search title. And so 15 years ago, uh, instead of uh, farming our title work out, my partner, Peter Schneiderman, and I started a title company uh, from the ground up. It was an interesting time. It was 2007, and uh, no title companies were starting as the housing bubble was happening. We were one of the lone new title companies in the state because of our relationship with our firm. And we recognized really early on that we didn't want the title company to simply be an ancillary to the firm, but we wanted it to be a standalone, standalone management team, standalone channels of business. And so we we developed that company into what today is a title operation licensed in 13 states, operating throughout the Midwest, handling everything from new residential purchase, refinance, uh, construction, commercial, uh, and so that's kind of broadened my perspective in that sphere. And while I continue to operate in the firm world, uh, I'm also operating in the origination world as well. Wow. So let's take, I want to dive in deeper to what it means that you own a title firm, because the basis of this podcast, as you very well know, is about the shit that's not taught in school. And I think titles uh, are a big part of that, right? What does that mean that you have to go, you know, find the title or what role does a title agency play in a real estate transaction? So that's a great question. And in the origination world, so when somebody's buying a home, the interesting thing is, is that most of us, that's the largest purchase that we have. And we may only do it a couple times in our life. So it's not something that we're routinely walking in unless we're in the space, unless we're an agent or a loan officer or whatnot. We're not doing this all the time. And even when I bought my first home, I had no idea as a, as a lawyer who the title professional was in the room. And in reality, to oversimplify it, what a title company, which is really both a title and an escrow company, do are two different things. One, they search record title to make sure that there are no liens on the property and that the person that you're buying a property from that who's going to convey their interest to you really has that interest in the property unencumbered and that you're going to take that interest from them free of any liens. So that's one side of the house that does that part. The other side of the house is the escrow component. And what the escrow component does is and sometimes I explain it this way to my kids, it's as if we take the keys and we take the money and then we exchange the keys and exchange the money between the buyer and seller. Now, that's obviously an oversimplification. Um, the escrow side prepares all the necessary documents for a closing and the sale that may be happening or the refinance transaction that might be happening. Very, very key to the transaction getting completed and completed correctly but in reality, very few homeowners, home buyers or sellers really understand the nature of our role in the transaction. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I do own property and I have a mortgage. And when I went to you know, the title firm down in Florida, I, I had no idea why I was there, you know, but I think the oversimplification is on point and it's important for the listeners to, to hear that version of it because that visually in your head lets you think about what that means, right? You're going there, they're sort of holding the keys, no pun intended. And then once, you know, you do your thing, sign your papers, then they release that to you. Obviously the money is a part of it as well. So that's very interesting. Now, in terms of the law firm aspect at the law firm that you're a partner in. You guys are a real estate oriented law firm. Is that right? Correct. So obviously in today's world, there is a lot that has been going on, especially in real estate. And people are trying to forecast the future of what that looks like. You know, is the market going to go down? Is it going to crash? Is it going to be another 08? What is that sort of thing going to look like? Being on the legal side of things, do you feel comfortable giving your predictions or your forecast as to what you think we can expect to see in the next 12 to 24 months? Yeah, I think I'd be a lot more successful if uh, I had a crystal ball, which I don't have. Right. Um, none of us do. But in reality, we can learn a lot from the past and try and sort of apply that to where we are. In the last couple of years, as a result of COVID, the 
whole real estate market was kind of turned upside down. We had artificially low rates, and we've had those rates even prior to the pandemic um, for such a long time. And you always age yourself when you start saying, when I got my first home, but when I got my first home, they were lending at 6.75. When my parents got their first home, they were lending at 14, Yeah, right? And when you got your first home, it might have been what? Three, yeah, literally, that like, yeah, right, right in between there, right. And so, we all are a product of what we know. So, my parents said to me, You have no under no idea that 6.75 is so incredible. What we had to do to deal with a 14% rate, so that's so crazy to think about. It's so crazy to think about, but here we are now watching rates tick above 7%, and this is really more realistic uh, in terms of what it should cost for folks to get money. Mm-hmm. And the impact on the short term is that it really just decreases your buying power, right? It doesn't mean you can't buy something. You just have to, you know, you have to sit down, run numbers and figure out what can you buy. The other issue that we ran into during the pandemic is that there was a moratorium on any default activity from a legal perspective. And usually in the United States, default rates historically were about 1% of the real estate market. Over the last 8 to 10 years, we've hovered well below that. And that was sort of a combination of coming out of the Great Recession and a tightening of lending standards that really negatively impacted the ability for some less fortunate borrowers to borrow, right? Now we're moving and ticking back up to a normal default rate, maybe about a 1% default rate. We don't have enough inventory and we have high rates. So that combination leads us to believe that values on property aren't necessarily going to tank, but they're going to stabilize. Things have been crazy, especially where you are down in Florida, where property values have just gone absolutely out of control. They have to stabilize a little bit. And I think that that's what we're going to see over the next 12 months. I also think that there are folks that didn't want to do anything during the pandemic, just stay in place, that maybe are now at a stage they're empty nesters or they're retirees, and they're going to start to contemplate moving on. And that'll create more buyer activity. So that's kind of what we're forecasting, but we think it's going to be a relatively slow winter and we're hoping for a robust spring. It's always so interesting to me to hear different people's perspectives on what the upcoming year or year and a half to two years looks like in the real estate world, because everyone that's a part of it, right? Your end on the legal side and on the title side, I'm talking to people that are real estate agents, lenders as well. And it's always interesting. But honestly, I think everyone is pretty much in agreement at this point in time. I think six months ago was a different conversation. But at this point in time, I think the stabilization of the market is what everyone's thinking. We're not forecasting things are going to crash and, you know, crash and burn like they did. But a stabilization, I think, is necessary too uh, for people my age, right? People my age nowadays, they really can't afford a home anymore. It's not what it used to be. Even when your parents, like you said, had a 14% rate, I mean, they were still able to afford a home. Like I said, I don't know what class or socioeconomic class they were a part of, but nonetheless, they were still able to afford a home, which is very hard to do. For someone that is 25, even 26 in today's world, which is crazy to think about that you have so many people renting, you know, and essentially, I don't want to say pissing away money because I think that's the wrong way to put it. But I think, you know, they're putting money towards something that's not theirs, right? They have no interest in it. Um, they're not building any equity for themselves. The dream of home ownership right now is broken. We 100%. don't have the product on the market for your generation to purchase. And a home still is a phenomenal asset, generational asset that we want people to be able to have. But right now we're broken. Things are unaffordable. The rates going up haven't made that any easier. The building costs are crazy. And in reality, coming out of the Great Recession, one of the issues was that 
a lot of homes were acquired by very, very large institutions Mm -hmm. and turned into single family rentals. Yep. And that has really impacted a redistribution of real estate assets around the country. That's problematic. I don't know what the answer is to solving all of that, but clearly we want the next generation to be able to gain everything that they can from home ownership. So we have problems to solve in that arena. I agree 100%. And this will be my last comment on that because I want to get to your story and how you got to where you are today. But I I just had one of my best friends, literally, we did the math for 16 years. He's been my best friend since the third grade, which is crazy to think about. He came down to Florida and we were talking about, you know, he lives in Royal Oak in Michigan. And I was like, you know, what? what's your rent? His rent is like $3,700 for a two-bedroom, two-bath in Royal Oak, Michigan. Now, the listeners that listen to the show, they're all over the world, all over the country. So if you want to learn more about Royal Oak, go ahead and search it up. But I said, I said to him, I'm like, my mortgage is less than half of what your rent is. And he's like, yeah, but you had to put a down payment. I'm like, you're absolutely right in that fact. But I'm just thinking about that as we talk through this conversation. And it blows my mind that, you know, for Royal Oak, Michigan, $3,500, not even a home, an apartment, that that's what their point is. It's just crazy. But it goes to show you that they know that they can do that because he can't go and buy a house. They can't go and buy a house. And the problem is, and your listeners don't necessarily know this, but Royal Oak, Michigan, wonderful community. But we're not talking about a high, high rent community traditionally. Yep. We're talking about a place that when you graduate from college, your goal is if you've done okay yeah. coming out of college, that Royal Oak is a place you can land. Yeah. That's supposed to be a place that you can afford. Yeah. Yeah. And right now you can't. Yeah. Right now you can't. And that's a problem. Absolutely. Well, before we transition into our next topic, the one thing I am going to pull out about what you said is that when you and Peter, your partner, went to start a title agency. And I think it's very important for the listeners to understand that there are times when you will own a business and you will see an opportunity to create another business. You heard Neil use the word ancillary. To them, the title business was an ancillary business. It was a sister company that could potentially help them out. But what's very significant and what I want to highlight is that he mentioned that he didn't want it just to be that. He wanted it to be a standalone company that functions, runs, operates independently of their law firm. And why do I want to pull that out? I want to pull that out for all of you to understand how important it is as an entrepreneur to be able to pivot, adapt, and execute in a fashion that is going to be not only helpful for maybe your main business, but also you can create a secondary source of income. You can have another business operating alongside of what you're doing. That's going to help each other, but they're two totally separate things. So I think obviously kudos to you and Peter for being able to do that and pull that out and build something from the ground up. Because number one, it's not easy to build something from the ground up, especially during that time period, although your guys' relationships were a bit different. However, it's still very impressive. And I think the listeners need to understand how important that is as an entrepreneur that if you have an opportunity, you need to seize it and you need to execute it. There's no other words that I can say about that. Well, I think that, the, and I agree with you, I think it's an, a really important takeaway. And, and, and the hard part about entrepreneurship is that it is easy to spread yourself thin. And it is easy because, you know, part of entrepreneurship is creativity. And so we love to dabble. We love to like look at how we could get involved in different things. And I think that it's really important to be honest with yourself and recognize, am I operating and owning a business or am I simply invested in somebody else's business? And there's a huge difference between the two. I have businesses that I have investments in that I find fascinating and I think I can be a value contributor to those businesses, but I recognize I don't run them. Somebody else is running that business and I don't quote own that business where When any business that's part of our family of companies has to try, and it's not easy right from the get-go, the goal has to be that it can be a standalone. It can stand on its own two feet without any of its sister or brother companies. And if we can get them there, that's a huge success, huge win. I agree 100% EU. Being able to recognize when you're going to be passive versus active in any sort of business is so important because I'm the same way, right? I have some investments that I'm passive in that, you know, I think I could help and my input 
maybe would be beneficial, but that's not my world. That's not my specialty. I'm going to let them do their thing. That's why I invested and I believe in them. Whereas if you're active in something, you're making the decisions. You're being a leader. You're leading by example. You're helping your team be the best that they can be. So I think that was a great point to also pull out. But now let's take a few steps back and let's talk about what we talked about that I found so fascinating, um, sort of how you grew into who you are as a person today. So was it in college that you were supposed to go to med school? You were studying pre-med or what was the story? Yes. In high school, I took all of the science prerequisites you would need to uh, pursue medicine. I went to the University of Western Ontario in Canada for my undergraduate degree, and my major was in psychology, but my minor was in chemistry, and all of my electives were uh, the prerequisites to go to med school, and uh, I thought I wanted to be a doctor until my senior year in college. I had a friend who was a year older than me who was already at the University of Western Ontario Medical School. And he lived one floor above me and he would come home from class and just light up about the experience he was having at the med school. And everything he said did nothing for me. Like my heart rate was numb to everything he would talk about. And for me, I realized at that point, this might not be for me. I may honestly be looking for a pivot and it was a hard time because for, and it wasn't a long time for that pivot, but I, I had to figure out what I wanted to do versus what I thought I wanted to do as a child. Um, and I think that my goal as a child was twofold. One, I knew that a doctor made a good living and that a doctor was respected. And so I think as a very young person, I said, well, I could accomplish two things if I was a doctor that I think are important. Yeah. And I had to pivot and figure out what did this collegiate level version of me want to do? And I sought counsel from people that I consider my mentors, one of which is my father, who I'm very tight with. And he said to me, if you don't know, um, similar to your story, uh, maybe law school is somewhere you want to try. And I went to law school not necessarily knowing what my future might look like, but knowing that I needed to do something different. And my dream really was to come to the United States and at least get to experience what it would be like to go to school in the Big Ten, even if it was just for a year. And that's what I thought I was going to do, was do a year and then transfer to a Canadian law school. I loved it so much, I decided I was never going back. <laughs> so... Let me ask you, why did you initially think that you wanted to go to med school? Well, I think, one, I wanted to help people. Okay. Uh, and I thought that was a beautiful thing. I really didn't dislike the sciences. Uh, so I found, uh, to this day, I'll still say organic chemistry, too, in college was the hardest thing for me to conceptually manage in my head of anything I've ever done uh, both professionally and and wow. uh, and as part of education, it was it was brutal for me. Um, but I, I think it was the idea of helping people, and I thought that there was. I always embraced the idea of entrepreneurship right. very, at a very young age. I was uh, my high school student body president. I loved all things entrepreneurial, and I thought that medicine had some entrepreneurial aspects to it. I didn't necessarily understand all of them, but I, I kind of thought that that was the direction that I wanted to go. Right. The most important thing was that when it was time to pivot, that I really asked all, myself all those hard questions about, well, now that I'm, let's call it an adult at 20 years old, what do I really want out of this thing? What am I really looking for? And that doesn't mean that you necessarily find it right away. I for sure didn't. The first firm that I worked for did not necessarily do the things that uh, I wanted to do. And that wasn't necessarily the opportunity that I wanted. It was a job and I needed one, uh, recently married and so forth. But it was a gateway to the future. Yeah, and I think your story is like others that I've had on the podcast before where they had thought, and like mine, like you said, where they thought they were going to do something and they completely changed their whole life and it's gone a different direction. But you know, I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. I've always lived my life that way. So I think that when I 
dissect these types of situations and conversations, I think that there's always a reason. I mean, obviously, right now, I don't think you regret any decision that you made. If you want to go back to med school, I believe you could do whatever class that was that you know you struggled sure. with. But nonetheless, I think it's important because this podcast does have a younger listenership. And with that being said, I think a lot of younger people in today's world think that they need to have their life planned out and that they need to know exactly what they want to do and when they want to do it. And I'm part of that generation, but mine was drastically different. I always knew at some point I wanted to go in my family's business, didn't know what that looked like or what that was going to look like, but I knew that I wanted to do that. And then you know, my story, everyone, if you're a regular listener of the show, I've done solo episodes about it where I took a step back from law school and I have not looked back since and I don't think I'll ever look back. But I wanted Neil to explain this story to all of you so you can hear again yet another person that is successful, that is an entrepreneur, that had a pivot in their life after they had a realization that you know, the path that they were on was not for them. And if you're experiencing that now, know that it's okay and know that others have gone through that and talk to people. I talked to, I can't tell you, five, 10 of my closest friends when I was talking about leaving law school, same as you said, you know, you talk to your dad, you talk to some other mentors and, and different people that could give you insight. Like, are you being a complete idiot or are you following your heart or does this make sense? Talking through things is human and, and I think it should be done and should be focused on more so in our society about speaking up and talking about your feelings. But I think it's important. So now that you are an entrepreneur, you are a lawyer, you have you know, gone down this path and not to age you, but you know, you're someone that can look back in life and say, hey, like I can't believe how young I was when this happened, right? And now look where I am. Do you ever feel a sense of regret for going down the path that you chose? Uh, no, I think that, you know, it's interesting. I think that you reflect on it. You know, I have three amazing boys and, and an incredible wife. And my, my sons are 16 and 13 and 8. And so my oldest is starting to look at colleges and starting to think about things. And I think you reflect, you know, through their eyes a little bit and think about, the experiences you had and the hard things that you did to build your business and build your career and everybody wants it to be easier for their kids. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. you know, so, you know, I think the hard part and it's important for your listeners to understand is that all these roads to get to these points are difficult. They're hard. And even when you get there, wherever there is, right? Like I'm now 20 years into my career. I'm allegedly, I'm there, yeah. whatever there is. And there are still things that are challenging and frustrating and difficult. And you have days that have wins and you have days that have losses. I think one of the important things that I reflect on with my kids is really um, embracing that road. It really is. I mean, I know this sounds cliche when you talk about journey, but you have to really embrace that journey and that experience. And I think, you know, a good story that, that I kind of have about that, you know, not growing up in Metro Detroit and starting my career here because I married a Detroit girl, I did not have the benefit of uh, family members who had, you know, connections around town. I didn't have those. And I moved into, you know, Detroit is a fairly large city. Um, my connections were in Windsor, Ontario, and I chose to leave all of those connections. And so when I started applying to law firms, I experienced a tremendous amount of rejection. And to be honest, as a young attorney, or at that point, I think I was still a, a law student, um, I don't think I even understood that uh, people aren't always hiring. Like, why would I understand that there isn't just a, every year they hire another attorney cycle? That happens at some large firms. It doesn't happen in your mid-sized or small firms that way. So every day I would come to the mailbox and every day there would be another letter letting me know that while they thought my resume was impressive or my writing sample was impressive, um, at this time they were not interested in Neil Sherman. That is hard for all of us to, to manage, but I will tell you, as you're managing through it and sitting across from me in my bookshelf is a bound book. I kept all my rejection letters. Wow. I have them all. Wow. That's awesome. And 
every once in a while, I'll flip through it for perspective. Now, 20 years on, it's amazing to look at because the firms are gone, many of them. The names, some of them are ghosts of our industry, uh, people that I had great respect for who have retired, some who have even passed. And it's a reflection on a very different time in my career. But it also highlights that there was a lot of struggle, both emotionally, professionally, along the road. It's not that easy. In entrepreneurship, you put a lot on your shoulders, a lot. And so everybody needs to cut themselves a little slack that if it's not coming to them right away, the career they dreamt of and so forth, you got to persevere through it because it is not easy. Um, But wherever there is when you get there, there, there is a lot of joy in that. Yeah, I think rejection, I always talk about failure on the show. I think it's so important to fail because you need to fail in order to succeed multiple times over and over again, but you got to get back up. You got to learn why you failed in that instance and what you can do better next time. But something that always sticks with me and I think about it not too oftenly, but you know, sometimes here and there is like, I think it was my third or fourth day of law school. I left after 13 days, but my third or fourth day, I had this professor that everyone was like, this guy's the worst guy. Everyone hates him. You know, he's a big asshole. And they were, he was talking. He's like, in a couple of weeks, there's going to be some of you that aren't sitting in here because you decided to drop out. And like when I decided that I wasn't going to go to law school, I just thought about this guy's voice in my head because I was like, am I quitting? Am I making the right decision? I knew internally I was, but it kind of had me second guessing myself. So I heard this professor's voice in my head saying, there's going to be some of you that aren't just not going to be able to do it. You're just not, you're not capable of it. You're not going to be able to do it. And that's not the reason I left law school. But I think that hearing those words in my head kind of pushes me to another level too. Like when you go and read those rejection letters, not kind of like it's a, hey, F you, but it's sort of like, wow, look how far I've come since someone didn't believe in me. And I continue to believe in myself. I continue to persevere. I think those are important life lessons that everyone needs to go through. And when we talk about making it easy for your kids, you know my family very well. I'm so grateful. I'm so blessed for everything that I have. And the perspective that I've always had is there's people out there that don't have the opportunities that I have, that don't have the resources that I have. So I'll be damned if I'm in my position and I'm not growing on it and I'm not building upon the structure and the foundation that was given to me. But I think the other aspect of that is my parents have made it very clear, you know, how hard it is to actually create success and what that actually takes because I've seen single-handedly, you know, my dad build a business that, yeah, my grandfather started, but it was just a one-man show when my grandfather had it. And now, you know, it's just on a different level. So I think about these things and I think that there's such important life lessons. Like I love, I literally love that you kept the rejection letters and that you still have them and look through them because I think that goes to show how grateful you are for the position that you're in, that you keep those as a reminder of what it was like back then to what it's like today. And it puts it into perspective for you. I think it still is on some levels. I think you always want a little of that in your life. There are clients that I've been working on for over a decade. I have a client that, you know, that I have pursued for over a decade that at one point, and I know this is not them actually doing this intentionally, but, you know, in our world, we pursue mortgage banking clients and they will let you know that they don't need a firm like ours in the state at this point in time. And usually it's a a very cordial email that you get. Uh, that lets you know we're good. One of my potential clients, who I still consider a potential client, sent me a FedEx. Like they literally wanted me to sign for something, letting me know they are not interested. And that letter, that letter sits in my office uh, because I think that that letter is so important to recognize that this is always a work in progress. You're always, there's always going to be a new client that you want to pursue that you're not going to get easily and you have to stick with it and keep going. And I think that much like your parents, you know, there are people out there that win the lottery. Somebody just won $2 billion in California. That is winning the lottery. There are also people with, with small businesses that 
didn't necessarily put in the hard work and maybe they quote won the lottery. It just happened the right day, the right way, whatever. For the majority of us, it all comes down to one thing and that is hard work. It Mm -hmm. honestly is. It is about being in the office. It is about grinding through it. It is about finding that healthy balance between, you know, this sounds guru-y, but mind, body, and spirit, right? Like, you know, I consider myself a very, very active parent, um, you know, with my third child now going through his wave of sports, I got to get myself amped up to do this whole thing all over again with an eight-year-old. But all of that, combined as an entrepreneur, whether it's in the home, uh, it's in the community, or it's in your office, it all, it's simple. It's all about the hard work. Yeah. And also, this is a perfect point for us to pivot into what I've been most excited to talk about. Like I said before, and the listeners know, I have no notes, no guiding topics, nothing. I kind of just go into this. But one thing that's been in the back of my head since we had this on the calendar is talking about leadership and leading by example. But before we get to that and why this segues into each other is when you talk about like in the community, in the workplace, on the road, the other slogan of the show is always lead by example. And what's so funny, Neil, is I usually end, if you go back and listen to the outros of the podcast, I always say, always lead by example, no matter if you're in the gym, if you're in your workplace, if you're on the road, if you're in the grocery store, no matter where you are, you should be a leader and you should always lead by example. And I think leadership and hard work goes hand in hand, especially when you are an entrepreneur and you need to have a good foundation that you build so that when you do bring others, they are able to have the resources, the tools, the capacity, the mindset, the positivity in place for them to excel and grow as well in their careers and their professions. And the reason I'm so excited to talk about leadership is because I like to call myself a lurker. People take that as a negative thing. I've always just, you know, I'm a lurker. I always am watching from a distance as what's going on and who's doing what. And I like to be in the know of certain things. And one thing that I've always recognized about you and Peter is I have single-handedly, whether you've recognized that I've been recognizing it or not, is I've watched you guys grow the law firm, the title agency, some other ventures into very successful businesses. And that is very impressive, but it's very much a spotlight to show the type of leaders that the two of you are. Because leadership is not easy, especially in today's workplace environment. There's so many things that are so drastically different. I know you're probably saying, well, Maverick, like you're only 23, you know, how long have you been? But I've been able to recognize it just from being in my family's business, like the oh, workplace- the has been crazy. The workplace procedures are so different. You know, so many things change, but one thing, that I've recognized from LinkedIn and you know from Michelle, my stepmom, for those that don't know her, is how much that you guys have been able to grow. And I'll tell you something so little, Neil, that's stuck with me that I sort of do internally as well, is I think you used to do like Zoom raffles at a certain point and like would give away certain things to team members. The little things like that go the extra mile and a half to others, especially when you're in a leadership role. I think structure, organization, um, efficiency all starts at the top. And you, you need to be able to trickle that down as a leader so that they also feel those same feelings and that they care and are happy when they wake up and when they're coming into the office. You want them to have a smile on their face. I say that every day, pretty much. You know, I want you to wake up in the morning and enjoy where you're coming to and not dread where you're coming to. Of course, everyone's going to have those days, but I want to ask you about leadership and, and sort of in a general sense, what you think it takes or some lessons that you've learned about being a leader and what those that are our entrepreneurs that are listening should try and incorporate in their everyday routines, you know, as a boss or as a leader, however we want to classify it. Yeah, it's, um, well, I appreciate that. And yes, we are still doing, we call it super Powerball. We have Powerball every month and super Powerball at the holidays. And we've been doing that now for almost 15 years. Yep. And uh, it started because my business partner, the Schneiderman, used to randomly show up with, you know, let's buy everybody lunch today. And people already had brought their lunch. Yep. And I said, well, why don't we, like, rather than 
surprise people with stuff. Let's have something planned every month. And oh, by the way, if we plan something every month, then we can do Powerball and also maybe share some important information with them at the same time and congregate as a group. And it turned into a great opportunity for us to mature our business as we were starting to grow. Leadership, and I'll tell you, the last couple of years, uh, leadership has really been tested. Uh, You know, nobody could have anticipated what the changing business environment would look like when COVID hit and what we would have to do to kind of deal with all of that. And lots of things came out of it that are fascinating and have changed the way that we lead, like Zoom and so forth. But really what I recognized during that period of time was that I had a, a not only a duty and responsibility as the person who was the captain of our ship as to the business end of the captaincy, but also people were scared. I was scared, but as a leader, I had to show some fortitude that we were going to figure out, we were going to research the things that we needed to do as a business to navigate the requirements that we had to deal with, you know, in our state. Um, And we had to figure out how to do that and convey that without all being in the building, which historically we had always been together as a group in a building. And now I've got people all working from home. And so, you know, communication with the team, whether it be written, whether it be video, whether it be personal, to me, is a key link to the organization. And we've worked really, really hard at that to make sure that all the leaders in our organization are recognized as such. Uh, And I think that that has always been something that we've utilized and done very well. Do you think that people are born leaders or do you think that you can turn someone into a leader? I think people sometimes have a proclivity towards leadership. They have a desire. You know, it's interesting, like a quick story. When I was applying to, to law firms, I got an interview at a very large firm. I was super excited because, you know, when you're a law student, you hear about what these firms pay their starting associates. And, yeah. you know, I was getting married and this firm actually paid a decent salary. And I was very, very excited. And so you go into the interview and you sit down and you're prepared and you know what you want to say and you think you know what they want to hear. And so they always say at the end of those interviews, do you have any questions for us? And you want that question that you ask to be a little bit loaded. So it's like a question, but it's also a takeaway for them about what you think is important, right? It's a a very calculated question. Yeah, exactly. So they said, do you have any questions? And I said, yes, here's my question. I would like to know if, you know, I have friends that are starting to buy houses and those are probably the first people ever, because I don't know anybody who owns a business yet, that might be a client. And so I want to know whether or not the firm uh, would be pleased if I was able to bring my friend's real estate transaction to the firm and I could do that closing and handle their paperwork, et cetera. And I thought that this showed like entrepreneurship. I thought that showed, you know, that I yeah. was a go-getter and, you know, really impressive. And I expected the answer to be, oh, absolutely. I mean, we don't expect you to bring work right away, but if you have the opportunity, we'd be thrilled. And they said to me, uh, no, you could not bring that work to our firm. <laughs> and I, I was so confused. And I said, can you tell me why? And they said, well, we represent a particular Fortune 500 company. And we have 1,800 billable hours waiting for you. And you're going to be billed out at, I'm going to make up the number, $250 an hour to that Fortune 500 company. And you can't charge your friend more than $100 an hour. And it's going to take you seven hours to do his transaction. You can't bring that work there. Wow. And I listened to that and I understood. I understood what they were saying. Yeah. And I recognized that, like, I I still would have taken the job, by the way. And, you know, (laughs) entrepreneurship would gone gone on the back burner for a couple of years. But... That was a different kind of path. 
They were looking for an attorney that wanted to know that, hey, this is a firm that it's 1,800 hours for me to bill and I'm going to get paid and et cetera, et cetera, where I was really looking for an opportunity to grow at a young age. And so they were looking for a different guy, somebody who, or, or lady who may not have been looking for the same kind of leadership and responsibilities. And so to answer the question in a long-winded way, I think you can help leaders grow, but there are people that aren't looking for that. They are looking to be part of a team. And that is an important role as well. Yeah, 100%. And I always throw my two cents in there. Number one, I'll say that that story is amazing, right? Because I would think that that's a great question to ask. So you were probably blown away by their answer when they said no, yeah, that you couldn't bring them in. But what I always think about, right? I'm usually the youngest in the room, which is always to my benefit. And I feel grateful for that. But with that being said, I've learned when I need to speak up, when I don't need to speak up, or when I speak up, it's going to raise some eyebrows like, what the hell is he saying? I've learned those, and I've also learned to absorb information, et cetera, et cetera. But I started doing my first internship, a real internship where I had responsibilities and duties, and I had to report to someone when I was 14 years old. 14 years old is when I started doing that. So, you know, fast forward more than seven years, I feel that I have enough knowledge and experience. Of course, I'm always growing and learning just like every other entrepreneur and leader out there. But to recognize, okay, you know, this person is a leader and I can sort of morph and mold them into the leader that I think that is best for the position they're in. And there's also people that, like you said, the people that do the work, get the work done, that don't want that leadership responsibility, that are just there to do what you tell them to do. And those people are very important as well. They're equal, in my opinion. You just got to recognize who's able to do what. And I think that's a big part of being a leader, especially in a business where you do have you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 people, and so on and so on, where you're able to recognize and help others recognize this person can be a leader here, or this person just as good there. They're efficient there and they can get that job done. So like I said, I take my hat off to you and Peter, of course, because I've watched what you guys have built firsthand, sort of lurking in the distance, like I said, and building great culture and building companies because that is so important. That's where it has to start. And that's why I was so excited for this because even your LinkedIn posts, like, you know, here and there, we talk on LinkedIn, but even like your LinkedIn posts and what you'll repost or what you'll get tagged in is from the companies that you're a leader in and seeing that culture and seeing those types of posts are an indication to me that things are being done the proper way. Because like I said, you know, I did five to six internships at big corporations. I mean, corporations that if I said the names, we would all know. And I saw like where things were going wrong and where things were going right. So I'm able to pinpoint that, I think, a little bit better than others. And I will say to you, Neil, and I don't think I'm like blowing smoke up. I'm swearing a lot on this episode. So this is my (laughs) show. This is what I don't think I'm blowing smoke up your ass or anything like that. I truthfully mean it by saying that I think that you do a great job as a leader helping others be successful in what they do. And I think that's very hard to do. I think people think that they're able to do it. I think people think that they can do it and they can just walk in the door and do it. However, I think the reason that you're so good at it is because your self-awareness level is extremely high. You know what you're good at. You know what you're not good at. You know when, when to ask for help and you know when you can get things done yourself and roll up your sleeves and just do it yourself and not ask others. And that's where it becomes very important to be self-aware as to what your capabilities are. So I'll just say that as someone that is trying to do my own thing, you know, I recognize that. Well, I appreciate that. And it's funny you you mentioned that you feel like you're always the youngest man in the room. And there was a time at the beginning of my career where I was also always the youngest man in the room. And then you wake up and you're 20 years into your career and you realize you are no longer resident young guy. (laughs) And You also have to recognize that leadership and good, strong leadership is very fluid. It's fluid in the sense that if you don't embrace that new things are coming along and that some of them might exceed your regular aptitude, right? Like it's not to say you can't figure out how new tech works. You can, but they may not be second nature to you the same way that it would be for another leader in your organization. 
you have to allow other people to grow in those roles and you have to find a spot to lead from that's complementary. And that's a real transition. And I think that that ties directly into what you're talking about in terms of self-awareness. Leadership is not about always being out front and always being the keynote speaker, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. Leadership is really about coordination and recognition. And if you can be comfortable in recognizing that there are people within your sphere that know more than you and not feel threatened by the fact that they know more than you, whether they're younger or older, whether they've experienced less or more, that value to both you as a leader and your organization is incredible. Um, but that takes self-awareness and confidence that, you know, there are leaders and we, we see them every day that can't accept uh, the idea that someone might know something that they don't know. And to me, that's not a form of leadership that I sort of uh, feel tied to. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask you, and I'm kind of going to put you in the spotlight here. What is one thing that you think you can do better as a leader in your organizations? Grow young leaders. Grow young leaders. So there, you've got a generation... Um, so let's, I, I'm, as I said, I've been doing this 20 years, right? So the generation a decade younger than I am, I feel like our connection and uh, our relatability is spot on. And I'm, it's not to say that I don't relate to the generation two decades younger than I am, but finding their path and helping them with their path and encouraging them to work to grow within our organization, maybe even grow their own branch of our organization, is an area that as I go into my next decade of doing this, that is an absolute priority. Yeah, that's definitely something, like I told you, I have a lot on my plate. But one thing that I've always recognized is finding middle ground with people that aren't necessarily my age. I'm in the opposite where I'm trying to find a common ground with someone that's, you know, late fifties, early sixties. Okay. What can I pull out of my bag of tricks that is going to relate to this person and build that relationship and, you know, schmooze them and make them feel like, okay, while he's younger, maybe he's a little bit of an older soul. Obviously with the younger people, I can resonate more with them. I can talk about current day things that they'll understand a little bit better than the older generation. But it's funny enough that I'm in that same boat, you know, in a different spectrum of trying to find things that I do resonate with with an older generation of a group with. But one question I do want to ask you, and this just popped in my head, and this is kind of for me as well, is how are you balancing your time? You say you're a very active father. Clearly, you have a lot going on in your businesses. What have you found to be sort of your secret sauce in order to balance that time and have, you know, time for work and time for the wife and the kids, et cetera? Yeah. So I think you have to be really organized. Entrepreneurship is seven days a week, whether you want it to be or not. Yeah. That's the nature of the beast. And so everything has to give a little bit. But if you're good with organizing your time, you can take a little bit on a Monday and give a little bit on a Saturday, if you know what I'm saying. And yeah. so my family is very, very in tune to what it takes uh, for us to do what we do. And I feel like sharing with the kids that things aren't always simple and easy is helpful. They need to be connected to and understand it. I mean, I don't have to sit down and bring out a PNL and show it to the children. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, but at the same time, my kids understand why I travel for business. Uh, they know that I make every effort to get home in time for a baseball game or, you know, a flag football game. But they understand all of it. And I will say I have, you know, my wife is an absolute star and whether she has an official title at the company or not she is as strong a part of our businesses in, in many ways as i am and so you need to one be organized and two build a tremendous whether it's your immediate family or friends or whatever it might be you have to build a structure around you to help support what you're trying to do yeah. and recognize that 
taking care of your your body if you're a gym person, um, taking care of your mind if you're a uh, somebody who likes to read or how you relax, enjoying time with your friends. More, you know, I'm a morning breakfast guy. I love meeting people, colleagues for morning breakfast, and found have found over the years so many things have come out of those breakfasts. Not less necessarily in a linear way, but in a in a very broad way. Mm-hmm. And so I find those to be uh, both, you know, relaxing and I'm working. And right. so I love that. Um, so I really do think though, you know, if you're going to manage multiple things, being organized and structured is really important. You can't cheat that. And that's what helps me to kind of get through it all. Yeah, no, I appreciate that response a lot. I always do my best, right? I'm not married yet. I don't have kids yet, but I do, you know, I have a girlfriend that lives, you know, with me and we live together and we have two great dogs. And so we have, you know, a mini unit, I call it, right? Where, you know, my dogs aren't asking me, you know, questions about if I'm going to be at their baseball game, but certainly they're indirectly asking me when I'm going to take them outside in the morning. And I've always done my best to balance that. For instance, every Tuesday night at 10 p.m., I have a Zoom meeting with partners in a business that uh, I own and they're on the West Coast. And we go sometimes from 10 to 1045, sometimes from 10 to midnight. And usually when I come home at night, like I'm home at night, unless there's a fire that needs to be put out in that instance, it's okay. You know, maybe I'm glancing at emails. If it's urgent, I'll get to it. If it's not urgent, I'll get to it tomorrow when I can get to it. But with that being said, I've always tried to emphasize time management. I am OCD. I'm insanely OCD. So the organization, while, you know, it's a huge benefit for me, sometimes it's a, you know, holds me down a little bit in a way where it's like, I don't need to get every single thing done in that day, but it's a balance. Like you said, you got to find a balance. And the thing I've learned from doing 70 plus interviews with business professionals who are the best of the best in what they do, I've learned that everyone has a different rhythm. Everyone has a different way that they balance their time. And I just need to figure out what works best for me, but the common theme is organization. So, and I and I'd say the other the component that I would add to organization is prioritization, right? So, like at every stage of life, those priorities also change. So, you know, when I started a family and I had friends who were a little bit younger that were starting after me, and they said, "How do you kind of balance this all out?" I said, "Well, write down the ten things you like to do pre-children, and then whatever's number four through ten." just cross them out for the next couple of years because you're not going to get to do them, right? Yeah. You're only going to be able to do so many things. Yeah. And so you kind of have to layer out that priority. Like I am not looking for our businesses to grow so exponentially if it would negatively impact my current ability to be part of my family. Absolutely. Right? My, that's not uh, my priority. And so that's different for everybody. And no judgment, but I think being self-aware of what is your priority at that moment in time, and that priority can also change as time moves on, is a key to working through that organization. Uh, You are 100% right. I actually just had a dinner meeting last week with a guy who is 31 years old, not married, no kids, has one of the top three marketing companies in the country. Uh, he travels a ton and he loves his life. And I thought about, I'm like, that's just such a different life than I'm planning and that I want, but he's happy with it. And, you know, he's able, I've watched him take his company from 10 people to now they have over 150 people. And so with that being said, I thought about after my drive home with him, you know, he was able to do this because, you know, he wasn't really, didn't have that that life where he has a girlfriend at home and he has other responsibilities at home. He was able to just focus and grind on his business to grow it to where it is today. And I, you know, like you said, I wouldn't want to change anything for the world. I love walking in the door, seeing my girlfriend, giving her a kiss, seeing my dogs. I love that life. I don't want that. Even though I could potentially, of course I could stay at the office another three to four hours, just go home, eat dinner, shower, go to bed. But those three to four hours is what I enjoy. That's my balance. And that's very important for people to understand, okay, you know, where's your balance? I switched my schedule. I used to be a complete night owl. I'd stay until two, three in the morning, work. 
Now I sh- totally shifted because I want those hours at night. I wake up now at 6 a.m., go to the gym, come home, shower, come to the office. I've changed my life around to fit what I want in my life. And I think that comes down to the time management thing of it. But as we wind down to the end of the interview, I want to ask you a question. And this is a question I ask every single guest that comes on the podcast. We always end the, the interview with this question. And that question is, Neil, what do you wish that you knew when you were in your early 20s? I wish I knew in my early 20s that I wasn't going to have to change as much as I thought growing up, meaning that some aspects of my character, sort of the creative side of me, my love for music and my love for the arts, that I didn't think it, when I was 20 would be able to be a big part of who I was when I was in my mid-40s. Turned out, some of those experiences, some of that creativity ended up driving a lot of the growth, not necessarily the education I got from law school, yeah, but going back and thinking about the guy with the long hair and the beard who used to run, you know, assemblies at my high school, those things that I did in those years translated as much in some ways, if not more into the success that I found in the later stages of my career. So I love that I didn't have to change that much, but I thought I would have to. I love that. That's a new answer, and I love that. So thank you for that. Well, before we say our goodbyes, why don't you give the websites for the companies that you want to give so people can check them out? Maybe they need your services. You know, you never know what happens. One, the craziest story I always say is I had a private jet guy on here after we did our episode and released it. He called me a few weeks later, and he's like, the head of Playboy just called me and said that they listen to your podcast and they want to buy a plane from you now. I'm like, really? I'm like, that's pretty crazy. Well, so go ahead, give your website, give your contact info, whatever you want to give out. Well, well, if the head of Playboy needs uh, real estate services, <laughs> they can reach us at uh, SSPC Legal. So that's the letter S S P C like computer legal.com is our law firm, Schneiderman and Sherman. Our uh, title company is Best Homes with an S, title.com. And I'm reachable, uh, as you alluded to, on LinkedIn for any of the people that listen to your podcast. But I appreciated this opportunity to get to catch up with a grown-up version of you. And I'm thrilled to see all of the success that you're having. And as an active listener uh, to the podcast, I've enjoyed hearing uh, various folks answer some of your questions and look forward to maybe getting to do this again with you another time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I do appreciate it. And like I said, you know, I've watched what you have done and I've watched what you have built. And there's people that I want to mimic and do certain things. And you are definitely in that list from someone from a leadership standpoint, just the Powerball thing that always sticks in my head. You know, I've implemented things in some of the businesses in a little different way, but the idea originated from, I think, I, I don't know, I was... I, I walked in the house when Michelle was on one of them on Zoom or something. And I was like, what do you do? What, what was that? She's like, oh, Neil does this thing. We do raffles. She's like, I just won this. I was like, oh my God, that's crazy. But right, that makes her feel like a team player. Like you are inclusive of them. And that's what it's all about at the end of the day, being a leader. So thank you, Neil, for coming on. We definitely should do this again. Uh, maybe in, you know, in the next 12 to 24 months, we can talk about what the real estate market looks like at that point. But nonetheless, I think the listeners have a lot to absorb from this episode from an entrepreneurial standpoint, from a life decision-making standpoint, a lot to intake and understand internally. So I appreciate you for coming on and uh, let's do it again soon. If you're ever down in Florida, we'll have to get together and we can go to breakfast. I'm a big breakfast guy myself. I I love breakfast. So we'll, we'll have to do that. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks, Maverick. That episode with Neil was something that is so important and refreshing for me to hear. Recently on the show, I've been having people that 
the conversation has not been so much focused on entrepreneurship or leadership. And I love bringing it back to these types of episodes because I'm in a position where I'm a leader. I'm trying to build leaders within organizations that I'm a part of. I am trying to be the best leader that I can be. And hearing Neil's take on whether it was time management or keeping the rejection letters, all of these things are important for me to hear. So I think they should be important for you to hear as well. And there was a lot, a lot, a lot to take away from today's episode, a lot of good information, but I think the overall theme is always lead by example. And we've talked about leadership before. It means different things to different people. But at the end of the day, you should always lead by example, whether that is in the classroom or the community or the gym or the workplace or on the road or at the grocery store, always be a leader and always be someone that you're happy and proud to be because that's part of leadership as well. With all that being said, I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your week, of your day, of your night. This is a podcast, this is not live. So whenever you choose to listen to this, I hope you're having a good time and I hope you've learned something. And what I want you to do is make sure that you tell a friend, a family member, a coworker to listen to the best of the best podcast because I bet you that if you had something to learn from this and you enjoyed it, someone else would enjoy it as well. And that just helps take the show to another level and make it an even better podcast than it already is. So with all of that being said, thank you all so much. I love you all so much. There's so many opportunities that came to me from this podcast and I'll never have the words to say thank you enough. I'll never find the words to describe how I feel that I have the platform like this where there are listeners that listen to this show and tell me that they're excited for a new episode to come out. But with that being said, you just finished another episode of your favorite podcast. Someone might say, hey, what's your favorite podcast? You tell them the best of the best. Maverick's Guide to Success. Thank you, everyone.